This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to this Web Extra edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. With stock markets trading at record levels, bond prices elevated, $450 million paid for a controversial Leonardo da Vinci, and cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin minting instant millionaires among millennials, how risky are the markets? Joining us with some valuable historical perspective and investment sanity is Richard Stilla, financial historian, professor emeritus of economics at New York University's Stern School of Business where he taught the history of financial markets and institutions for 25 years. Dick is also a Hamilton scholar and author of several books, including Alexander Hamilton, The Illustrated Biography, plus co-author of the now classic A History of Interest Rates. And Dick is chairman of the Museum of American Finance, a must-visit museum on Wall Street, and I am honored to serve on its board with him. Dick, it's great to have you here. Pleasure to be with you, Consuelo. Great. And as I said, for some sanity and perspective, and I've got to start with Bitcoin because, you know, while you and I are talking, it's gone up $1,000 in one day. (laughs) So I want to know, what's your take as an investor first and as an historian second? Well, I don't regard Bitcoin as an investment. I regard it as a speculation. And it seems to have become, just in the recent weeks, maybe this year, uh, a darling of speculation. And that's the kind of characteristic of uh, irrational exuberance. You know, in in the sort of great run-ups to market peaks, there's always some darling of speculation. Uh, Maybe, uh, you know, 15 to 17 years ago, it was dot-coms. You know, you you would be worth a lot more Consuelo if you change your name from Consuelo Mac to ConsueloMac.com. All of a sudden, you'd be worth ten times as much. Uh, this time, it's Bitcoin. Uh, so it's it's not unusual in most run-ups to market peaks. There's a darling of speculation. Which leads me to my next question, which is, do you think that we are in the process of a run-up to a market peak? And again, in my introduction, mentioning just the fact that we, we've, you know, we've had this bull market, the markets are trading at record levels, and it seems to be a, across you know, multiple asset classes. Yes, I, I think that um, there are certain parallels with the past. Uh, you know, the Dow Jones in the last years, I think it was kind of under 18,000 approximately a year ago. Then it went up to 19,000. 20,000, 21, 22, 23, now over 24,000. That is a a sign of obviously a strong market, but it's also a sign of possible trouble ahead. I I remember, I'm an old man now, so I remember 1987. And interestingly, in that year, the Dow started out at around 1,700. Everything was one-tenth then of what it is now, 1,700 early in the year, then 1,800, 1,900, 2000 all the way up to 2700 and uh, then it fell about 500 points when the after the fed raised interest rates in august of 1987 down to 22 
hundred. And then, of course, there was the crash of October 19th, where it fell to uh, 1,700, and these are rounded numbers. So a 500-point, I guess, the biggest one-day decline ever. But it came after the market had gone up, you know, by jumping up steps every three or four weeks or so. Um, you know, you mentioned the dot-com uh, you know, phenomenon, which which was clearly a craze. Uh, we saw, you know, leading up to the the market crisis in 2008 and 2009, both an economic crisis um, and a and a and a market uh, crisis based on uh, a credit bubble. You know, where are you seeing? Uh, you know, I mean, one of the things that that people are saying who are more sanguine about the market are basically seeing that they don't see any excesses in the markets themselves. Bitcoin is certainly an excess, but it's not in the you know publicly traded uh, market. It's not stocks or bonds. So, are you seeing any excesses in you know in the kind of the mainstream publicly traded markets? Well, I'd say two things about that. One is that the volatility is very low. The so-called VIX, which measures uh, market volatility, is a is very low level. And so a lot of people are saying that you, you can't really be near a market top or there aren't any excesses when volatility is so low. Uh, but the second thing I would say is that uh, according to our friend Robert Schiller's uh, uh, measure of uh, where the stock market is in relation to past uh, history, um, he says that Mm -hmm. Schiller is saying now that this is like the third highest valuation of the market in history, and the other two previous peaks were 1999, just before the uh, dot-com bubble came crashing down, and 1929, before the stock market crash of 1929. You know, his cyclically adjusted price-earnings ratio is now at the third highest level in history. And the previous two times it got to be above where it is now, there were major market downturns. So he would also probably say that 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 it's that is not a timing mechanism, and therefore that you can be at these uh, at these elevated levels for a long time, right? Before yes, before there is a correction. And I and I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what is it that would cause a correction? I mean, I'm I'm looking at, um, you know, some I mean headlines about corporate earnings and hitting a record high. Uh, we're we're looking at um, at, at a, you know a global uh, kind of e- economic growth, uh, kind of a, across different regions. Uh, the, the U.S. kind of led the recovery first, and now Europe is catching up. I mean, Asia seems to be doing well. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering, you know, what is it that would precipitate um, a spike in volatility uh, in the stock markets, and uh, that would lead to uh, you know a, a significant correction? Um, well, I think that you know probably some change that we can't exactly anticipate, but it, it might be a political change in the world that. Uh, you know, let, let's say Britain's negotiating Brexit now. They're talking about a hard landing, a hard Brexit. Uh, and so if that comes to pass, that might be a factor. I think, uh, you know, and, and in Washington, D.C., there seems to be as much dysfunction and, uh, as there has been in the past. So uh, some, something might happen there. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but I would say that, you know, uh, I have a take on 
the kind of Goldilocks situation you described. Yes, we have uh, low unemployment and we have low inflation and our growth rate has picked up a little. And that's leading some market commentators to say, oh, this bull market's, you know, every, everything's just right for it to continue into the future. Um, Dow 30,000, I've seen people, uh, you know, in 2000, somebody said Dow 30,000 and the year 2000. And uh, of course, the, the market took a big downturn after that. Uh, I think uh, now the, the fact that some some people are saying everything is just right for the market to continue going up. To me, that's a sign that we might be near a top. And uh, and again, I'm I'm thinking of the excesses, Dick. And and is it is it possible? I mean, has there been uh, a, a parallel in history, uh, you know, where you're seeing a phenomenon like Bitcoin that that is uh, that's like the canary in the coal mine, or is a a you know a precursor? Of, of what could affect the markets overall, or is is this a new phenomenon? Is it just because the technology is new that we have, you know, we're able to have digital currency? Uh, is that what happens when you've got new technology that you can see these danger signs in uh, in other markets? Well, yes, I think that that's another historical factor. There's often a, a bunch of new technologies that capture investors' fancies. I'm thinking back to uh, uh, the 1840s uh, when uh, the railroads were just coming in and in both Britain and America, and uh, people were launching new railroads right and left, and there was a lot of speculation in railroad stocks. And then in Britain, it came crashing down. They, 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 there was a railroad mania, they call it, and in the mid-1840s, it came crashing down. Uh, so that that was the railroad technology. I think when electricity came along, uh, there were you know the bull market of the nineteen twenties. Uh, people were coming up with new electrical appliances, radios, uh, electric dishwashers, refrigerators. Things we're very used to now, but they were brand new technologies then. And uh, airplanes, of course. And so some of that was in the nineteen twenties bull market. New technologies. Um, I think computers came in. There were strong markets in the sixties and. Uh, uh, when PCs came in, the strong markets of the 80s were based on those cutting-edge technologies. And then, of course, the Internet in the 1990s, you know, the, the, that was a, a great new technology leading to the dot-com phenomenon. Uh, so the the idea that there are new technologies, and I must say that, you know, I've watched a lot of things happen over my 70-some years. And, uh, you know, the digital uh, innovations, I, I'm sort of amazed at what my iPhone can do, and I think there are a lot of other digital technologies or you know, how much information I used to have to go to the library to get information. Now I can just sit in my chair in my office and, you know, read books and uh, scan through libraries to see what they have. Uh, so we are definitely in a technological era. And I think, you know, that's behind uh, some of the uh, market exuberance. I, you know, some Alan Greenspan might call it irrational exuberance, but there's certainly exuberance in the market. They talk about the FANG stocks, you know, the uh, right. Facebook and Amazon and Apple and uh, Netflix and Google. It, I'm, I'm just wondering, it, it seems, you know, very kind of sector specific and and again, I, I think what's different this time, and, and uh, you know, I'm just thinking of kind of the more bullish case. If we have 
we've had slower growth, we've had low interest rates, and therefore, if if you talk to uh, you know somebody uh, like Ed Hyman, for instance, at at ISI, who's a you know a, a well-known Wall Street economist, you're an economist as well, but you know he's saying that that this is what's what's not necessarily different, but but what is you know sustainable in economic uh, recovery that we've seen since the financial crisis is the fact that uh, that growth has been so muted and inflation has been muted and interest are muted. And so therefore that that the recovery and the bull market can extend, you know, not a, a question of of the um of you know how long it is, but it's a question of the degree of the gains. Well, I think Ed Hyman is a wise man. I follow him, and I think he pointed to one factor that's extremely important, namely the low level of interest rates. You mentioned that I'd written a book, uh, history of yes. inter- co-authored the history of interest rates, and that actually covers about 4,000-plus years of interest rate history. And the, the rates we're having right now, they're up a, a little bit from where they were, but they're still the, the kind of lowest rates that the, uh, we've experienced in 4,000 years of history, and we're not very very far off those uh, those very low rates, and um, so I would say that you know that I think the low interest rate environment is a major prop under the market. Uh, at the same time, I would say the Fed has begun to normalize interest rates. We're still quite low, but the Fed has begun to do that. And when the Fed starts raising interest rates, uh, the markets can sometimes. Uh, um, you know, fall out of bed. Uh, it seems mm-hmm. to me that the Fed forecasts its moves now, and so the, everything is expected, and interest rates are very low, and the Fed is just, you know, maybe once every three months or so, it will raise interest rates just a little bit. So uh, that tells me that, you know, yes, even though I think stock prices are pretty high right now by historical standards, uh, Ed Hyman may be right that this could go on for a while, but I don't expect the the markets to go tearing up because they're already um, PEs are you know above historical norms by a good bit, and uh, uh, so I I would guess that uh, we may be near a market top, but it doesn't mean that the market's about to fall out of bed anytime soon. Any lessons from Alexander Hamilton in this kind of an environment? <laughs> Put well, under a Hamilton Scholar hat. Yes, uh, I, I've got a new book coming out, which is a you know kind of edited uh, edition of Hamilton's writings on finance. And uh, uh, having reread all that stuff lately, I can say that uh, Hamilton was really a proponent of fiscal responsibility. And I, th- I think one of the negative things we have going on now is that. Uh, we're not so fiscally responsible. Uh, we've just had a. We're about to get, I guess, the Congress to agree on a tax cut, which is going to make the deficits and the debt go up even more over the next decade or so. And uh, I don't see much responsibility in the sense like, how are we going to handle this debt down the road? And rereading Hamilton, he had this idea that whenever the government borrows money, it should also raise taxes a little bit to pay the interest on the uh, the, the debt you're incurring, and plus a little bit more, so you, ultimately you can retire that debt. I don't see any kind of that thinking, which was characteristic of the U.S. in the 19th century. You know, There was a lot more fiscal responsibility then right. than there is now. Uh, now we sort of, since we have such a high credit rating, we just keep on borrowing and, and let some future generation worry about how to pay back the debt or to pay the interest on it. You're retired, even though you are unbelievably active. You're writing books to chairman of the American Oh, retirement Finance. just, I mean, you know, for Professor Consuelo, <laughs> retirement is what we call a full-time sabbatical. 
you, you, you take a leave from being a professor to write your books, and when you're retired, that leave just continues day after day <laughs> so we can get more well, work done. I, right. Well, uh, no, you're unbelievably active, but the reason I'm, I'm mentioning that is that, you know, on WealthTrack, we are trying to help our audience pre- either prepare for retirement or many of them um, are in retirement and to survive retirement financially. So um, in, in with the markets uh, as elevated as they are, you know, what's your strategy, uh, your financial strategy? What are are you becoming more cautious, or you know, are are you raising more liquidity? Are you getting more defensive? What would you, uh, what are you doing, and what would you advise that the rest of us do? Well, I have been for the past year or so uh, taking money off the table of the stock market. That is, selling some. Uh, stocks. These are mostly in retirement funds. Uh, right. But you know that's nice because when you sell some equities in a retirement fund, these are tax deferred retirement funds, so there are no tax consequences of uh, lightening up. You know, I don't have to pay capital gains taxes. I just move money from stocks into cash or short term uh, uh, bonds, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, there are no tax consequences. So I, I've actually been doing that. You know, my history tells me that uh, the market is overvalued and. What you want to do then is kind of reduce your exposure to equities. You know, I've I've been wrong so far in that you know I would have more money today had I not started to get out of equities a year or so ago. But I feel a, a little better. At, you know, the market's going up. I, I'm not entirely out of equities, and probably no one ever should be. But uh, you know, you want to be a little more careful when you're retired. So I've been doing that. So you know, it may not be the best advice for a young person. I mean, I I think a young person should probably have most of their savings. Savings, uh, such as they are in, in equities, and not really worry about the ups and downs of the market in the short run. But when you're in your 70s, you have to think a little bit about it wouldn't be very nice for a major market downturn. So I, you know, the stage of life matters a little bit, and I've been right. lightening up. And and speaking of you know major market downturns, so again it, with stock prices so elevated and asset classes um, kind of across the board pretty elevated. I mean, would you, you're not a, a market predictor, but would you anticipate that we probably will at, uh, at some point have a, you know, a significant enough um, market decline? I don't know, 20%, 30%, something like that, that it's, it, 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 this is just what happens historically. So to expect it after such a long and a, and a big run up? Yeah, well, I've studied uh, 200 years of uh, U.S. stock prices, and uh, they, they fluctuate uh, much more than the economy or stock market returns. You know, they, they kind of range between slightly below zero. These are like 10-year moving average returns. In other words, there's some decades. The most recent one was 2000 to 2009, when the 10-year moving average return on stocks basically went to zero. Uh, but the same pattern is repeated throughout U.S. history. In 1999, the 10-year stock market return was about 18%. So I've, there are these cycles. They're, they're pretty regular, and, and you basically uh, you, the market goes up, and whenever it reaches a, where you made maybe 18% a year for 10 years, that's sort of a peak. It doesn't get much higher than that. And usually when it hits a peak like that, the next 10 years are down. Well, we had the 10 years down from 2000 to 2009, and now we've had about eight years up. I don't think we're near a you know a sort of eighteen uh, percent stock market average annual return uh, in real terms. But uh, you know we've moved up quite a bit, and I would think that the market is probably due for some sort of correction. 
uh, and you mentioned a 20% decline. That would be the, some people's definition of a bear market. Bear market. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I would think that you know, you know, and, I, and actually, I would welcome since I lightened up my equity holdings a bit. I would welcome a 20% decline because then I could <laughs> go back in and buy stocks at a cheaper price. You know, uh, I'm always amazed that many people, when the market goes down 20%, say, "Get me out of there." Uh, when in fact, uh, you know, if Macy's says everything is 20% cheaper, we run to the store. If Wall Street says right. everything is 20% cheaper, would they say, get me out of here? I've never quite understood that, but I guess it's human psychology. Well, in my introduction to you, Dick, I did say that you would join us with some valuable historical perspective and investment sanity, and you did both as you always do on this my pleasure, uh, Web of WealthTrack. And as I've said, I've been talking to Richard Stilla, financial historian and author of a wonderful book on Alexander Hamilton, The Illustrated Biography. It's always a treat to talk to him. And just so our audience knows what our next web extra is going to be, it's going to be with legendary value investor Bill Miller, who owns bitcoins in his hedge fund. He is a value investor who owns bitcoins. So we're going to have to figure that one out with him. And the Bill Miller interview is going to be available on WealthTrack.com starting December 13th for premium subscribers and December 15th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time for everyone else. So thank you so much for joining us for this Web Extra edition of WealthTrack and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one. <music>